Okay, so, so let's, we're going to go to the frequent asked questions. Just before I go to the first one, which you've already kind of seen a little, bit of a, a little bit of a heads up, let me just say this. There aren't going to be any yes or no answers in the FAQ uh, series, all right? Because there really aren't a lot of yes or no answers. If you think about it, when Jesus was asked questions, if, you, if you've read the story of Jesus or, or, or you've heard a little bit about it, you know that he was questioned at times. And this was done by the religious folks, and they were, they were trying to trap him often. They would, they, would, they, would, they would frame a question in such a way so it's almost like there is no good answer to it, you know? Like if I were to ask some of you men today, have you stopped beating your wife? You know, that's an old one, but you've heard that, right? Have you stopped beating your wife? Then well, you can't say yes or no, can you? If you say yes or no, either one of those is going to be a bad answer. So in the same way, that's what they did with Jesus. And we do the same things. When we start asking questions of God, we frame it in such a way that we get the answer that we want, that we've already got an idea of what we want, that, that we already, a lot of times, we show up at church. We oftentimes show up at the time to read the Bible. We open our Bible, and, and when we show up for that moment, we've already got our, uh, you know, our preconceived ideas and notions of what the truth is and what we want God to want us to do. And so we're looking for the truth. We're looking for the scriptures rather that, that support our truth and the way we've thought. And so that, that's one of the problems we have sometimes with just asking questions. That's why I don't let you stand up right now and just ask the question because we want to frame it in such a way that it fits something or, the, or, or that it, it leads the answerer to give us the answer that we wanted all along or that we, we, we just already believed. But here's the problem with that is that you already believe and you already know and you're not coming here today with an open mind and an open heart to hear what God says to you, then you're not going to get truth. You're going to be dabbling around the edges of truth all of your life and all of your walk because you've already decided what truth is. And I guarantee you, and some of you have heard me say this before, there is nobody that is going to stand before God one day and hear God say, you know what? You are the only person who had it all figured out just exactly right. You understood me like nobody else did. You had the word just, and you just, you just knew it. There's nobody's going to hear that. Every one of us, I told you a couple of weeks ago, every one of us is going to, at times, have bad theology get into our hearts. And what we need to do is we need to put ourselves in places where we have people challenge that theology. We have people challenge that. And that's why I pray today. I don't just invite you. I implore you to please hear God speak to you deeper than a yes or no, you know, just a, just a quick answer. Hear God speak to you the depths of his heart because everything about, everything about this whole thing, this, this relationship with God, who we are and who he is in relationship, it's so much more. I mean, if you were to ask me to describe my relationship with my wife, 30, 36 years now that we've been married, let me tell you something. It's going to take longer than a couple of minutes probably for me to describe my relationship. You think about your own relationship, the, the, the strongest human relationship that you have in your life. If, you, if somebody were to ask you, 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 you couldn't put it in just a couple of words if you were to, to, to describe that relationship. How much more than the relationship that you and I have with God will it take much more? And, and see, that's the thing. It's what we want to do is we want to show up. We want to ask a quick question, get a yes or no, and go on about our life. But what God wants us to do is he wants to pull up, pull up a chair, sit down a while, take out my word, talk to me, and listen to me talk to you. Let, let's have a conversation. Let's build a relationship. 
Let's make something real happen here. Not just, not just something on paper, you know, just a yeses and noes and, and maybe a little explanation here, but let's, let's build something real. That's what God wants. And so, I, I, as I said, I don't invite you. I implore you today to please get deeper than the shallowness of what most Christians get to today. Allow God to take you deeper in your understanding and challenge the, 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 the very essence of your belief systems so that you will know that once they've been challenged, you will know that you have come to a place of understanding with God. That's, and that's the only way you're going to do it. If you're just believing what I tell you today, that, that's why, listen, this is not the end. This is not the end all. And there's so much on the Sunday's page you can go to that's just going to help you take this message even deeper and further. And I really challenge, I challenge you to do that today. So let's go to our first question. Is church necessary? Well, I think for some of the reasons that I've just told you, yes, it is. But, you know, here's, here's the thing today. You know, people today are saying, well, you know, you don't have to go to church to go to heaven. That is probably true in theory, but in practice, it, it just don't work that way. I mean, it's just not that simple that, hey, you know, I, I, because there's a lot of other stuff going on. And, and, you know, when we have this attitude of, well, but we're just so busy, you know, and, and we just can't, when we have that attitude of I'm just so busy, you, you know what we're really saying? It's almost like we say, well, you know, the people that lived a couple of hundred years ago, back before NFL football on Sunday and movie theaters and social media, you know, they didn't have a whole lot going on. And so God just tried to keep them busy so they wouldn't get distracted and wouldn't have a lot of temptation and all that kind of stuff. You know, it's almost like, it's almost like that's what we believe. And, and so then, conversely, then what we're saying is we've got so much stuff in our life that we're never distracted, right? Yeah, right? You know, we, we never get tempted to do things that we shouldn't do because we're so busy with stuff. We've got all these other things in our life that, that we don't need uh, maybe to spend as much time with God because, or, or maybe it's just that we've got so many people in our life that we just don't have time for anymore. I mean, by the time you add my family to the kids at school or, or, or to the people that I work with, I just don't have time for more people in my life. I mean, that's kind of what we're saying sometimes. Now, I'm going to really answer this question in the next question a little bit, so hang there with me for that, just, just that one moment. But a lot of times, I think what we're saying is this also, is like, we've got it all figured out. We don't need, we don't need church anymore because we've got it all figured out. I don't have any problems. Is that what we're saying? I don't have any problems. I don't need God to share his wisdom with me. There's nothing else that I need to know. I've got it all figured out. I don't need anyone to pray with me. Because I don't, I don't have any problems. So I don't need to come to church and have anybody pray with me and believe with me and challenge those problems, battles, or even demons that are coming against me. I don't need. And that's not really what we believe, is it? We don't really believe that we have so much in our life that we don't need church anymore or that we have so much wisdom and knowledge that we don't need church anymore. We don't believe that, do we? No, we don't believe that. Here are eight real reasons you need to attend. And not just attend church, but you need to belong. You don't need to just visit church. You need to belong. And, 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 and there's eight of them here. We're not going to take a lot of time, but I'm going to run through them real quick. Because the first one is belonging is what church is. Being a part of the church 
It's what it's belonging, right? I mean, that's what it is. Or Christianity is corporate in its very nature. I mean, that's what Christianity is. Uh, the Bible teaches covenant community, and and I don't have time to give you all the scriptures, but they're there on the Sunday page. Just just look, and there's there's so many that I didn't even have time to to put there. Don't have space to put there. But the Bible teaches covenant community. You need assurance and encouragement. So if you need if you need a reason to show up at church, show up for yourself because you need it. You need to be here. The, the very strongest Christian sitting among us today, the, the one who has prayed the fire of God down uh, in some situation this past week, you still need the encouragement, strength, and support of those who are around you. You need to be here. Uh, the, your, your family needs you to be here. If you're a dad, you need to be here for your kids because your kids need to be in kids' church. You need, you, need, you need to have your teenagers at, at teens and tweens. You need to be in a small group. You need to be in these things. Uh, uh, and your leaders, to be, be here to encourage and challenge you, whoever it is you're following, a small group leader, or, or if you're following one of the staff members, you're working in, in worship, or you're working in shock and awe, or you're working in the kids' ministry, or some area like that, and, and, and you call them throughout the week, and, and they're pouring in. You just think about from their, their side of this thing for a moment, and, and they're pouring into you, or, or you, you text them in the middle of the night, and you've got a, a prayer need or something, and, and so they're pouring into you, and they're sharing all of this, and, and then on Sunday, you know, they need to see your face, because when they don't see your face, they, they think, maybe I messed up this week when I didn't, when I, I, I prayed with them, I didn't pray hard enough or, or I wasn't there enough for them. And you need to be here to encourage them so they see and they know all these things. Your unchurched friends and your family members because this is the most awesome group in the world is the group that gathers on Sunday morning. And I'm not, I don't just mean here in this room right here, but I mean every church across the world that gathers. This is the most awesome group, the body of Jesus Christ and the people sitting around you. Those people right next to you, they need you. These are, these are eight real reasons that the church is important. And I know what uh, a lot of us are probably want to say, yeah, but you're talking about the church instead of church attendance, or which is it you're talking about, Pastor? Well, that, that's, that's my whole point, because it goes back to really who we are. Who is the church? So this is the second question. This kind of also helps answer the first question, is are we the body or the bride of Christ? Are we the body of Christ or the bride of Christ? This was a question that was asked. And uh, actually, the answer is both, okay? Definitely not a yes or no here, right? It's yes and yes. This, we're both. And we're, we're called a lot of other things as well. And here are just a few of the verses, and you don't have to write them down. You can go to the Sunday's page. They're right there, and you can actually just click on the link, and it'll take you to those verses right there. And just scroll down. You'll see every one of them in, in, a, in a long list. But here we are. We're called the body of Christ. And, and, and the reason he calls us that is he wants us to see some things. If you think about a body, what is a body? The Word of God talks about the body having many, many, members, but being one. Okay. That's who we are. There's a bunch of us, but we're one. And there's a strength. There's a unity to the body. You know, the fingers and you know, they don't just run off and do their own thing later today. There's a unity. If the fingers go do something, the rest of the body goes with it. Right. Yeah. But there's a head, there's a choice. There's, there's something making choices and making decisions and, and helping us have wisdom. And that head is Jesus Christ. All of these things give us examples of who we are. So we are the body, but we're also the bride. And there's a bunch of scriptures there. The bride of Christ. And you think about brides, you think about weddings, that's who we are. We are, we are betrothed to our, to our Savior, that, that we are keeping ourselves pure. We're, we're going to be robed in white, and, and not, just, not just literally, but figuratively. You know? Normally we say that the other way around, but it's not just, it's not just literally that we will 
have white robes, but we're figuratively going to be in white, or in that we're to be pure, that he is purifying us, that this is an eternal covenant that is being made. Okay? So here's, here's, here are the reasons, or the things, uh, like why we're called the body, why we're called the bride, the church is called those things. But the very essence of who we are and what the church is is the reason even more so that being here on Sunday morning is so important because this is the gathering of that church. This is the gathering of that body. This is the gathering of that bride. That's why this is so much more important than anything because you look at every other organization, every other organism, every other group that meets any time this week, you know, in, in Congress, uh, the United Nations, I mean, what, what's, what's the most important one that meets? I mean, a lot of people say, well, it's definitely not the church. Well, it might not seem that way to a lot of people. You know, there, there are Kiwanis clubs and there, you know, the JVs and there, there's, there's, there's all, also JCs and all those, uh, all, all kinds of groups out there meeting. And you might say, well, the church is definitely not the most important, but I can tell you this. That when, the, when, when those have had their very last meeting and the gavel has come down for the last time, there is one group, there is one body that is still going to be meeting and that body that is the bride of Christ that is betrothed to him eternal, that body is going to last for eternity. This, if you are a part of the body of Christ, if you are a child of God, if you have given your heart and life to him, and as we sang just a few moments ago, you belong to Jesus, then you are a part of the most awesome group that has ever met and will ever meet and will always meet. We are the only organism, the only organization that is going to outlast this earth that we belong in, and that is the church. Amen. Even more so. That's a good amen. That's a good amen. Yeah even more so than your marriage. I, I, I do not understand. I can't fathom, but the Word of God, the way the Word of God, you know, there is no marriage in, in eternity. That, you know, and I, I can say, I can understand how, well, that would be for somebody else because maybe their spouse chose not to follow God. Or what. I can understand that. But I don't understand that with me and Dave. I mean, we've pretty much, we've been together most of our lives and not just half, I mean, most of our lives. I mean, she was my eight-year-old childhood sweetheart. I can't imagine that, but you know what? This bond that she and I have is not as strong and not as lasting and it's not as eternal as the bond that Jesus Christ has with his church. That's why this, it's, it's us, but that's why this today is important because this is the gathering of that. And this is the important time. So let me go on to, uh, to, to, to question number three. Question number three is, can you explain the Trinity? No. Next question. Okay, I told you no yes or no, qu- no, yes or no answers. All right, so I'm not going to give you a no, but no, I cannot explain the Trinity because my mind does not work that way. All right? Now, I know there's, there's all kinds of analogies. Like uh, here's, here's three of the big ones that I've, I know of, you know, the egg, if there's a yolk, there's a white, and there's a shell, and those three all together, they're one egg, right? Problem with that is they're so, they're so distinct, there's no unity in that because you can separate an egg, correct? I mean, most of you, right, you, you throw the eggshell away. Anybody use the eggshell in cooking or anything? I don't know anybody. I, I, you know, I didn't know. Uh, right, we throw that away. So it's like useless. I mean, so there's a lot of reasons why I don't want to use the egg to describe who God is. You know, that we're going to throw a part of it away because it's only just there for just, just, just the outer shell of the covering. There's a lot of reasons I don't want to use that. And then there's the phases of water. You know the phases of water, the liquid and, and the solid and, and, the, and the gas? 
you know, basically based on what the temperature is, most of the time we see water, you know, and it's in its liquid form, but, you know, we take it down to 32 degrees and below and we see it in its solid form. We heat it up and we see it in its, in its uh, gas form as a, as a vapor. Okay, but the problem with that is it's the same thing, it's just in different phases. So that doesn't really show me that there's actually three different ones. So that's not a good one either. Or then there's a, I heard one about a, this is not one of the most popular, you probably haven't heard this one, but I heard the one about the fresh cherry pie. You know, and the guy that was, that was explaining it this way, he said, I'm not talking about that cherry pie that's sitting on the, on the shelf at the convenience store for the last six months. He said, I'm talking about a fresh one, you know, that your grandma just pulls out of the oven, you know, and, and she sets it down and she takes a knife and she, she divides it into three pieces. And as she takes the knife and she cuts through the, cuts through the crust and, and through that cherry ooze, you know, and all that stuff that's in there and she pulls through it, you know, and, and then she cuts into three pieces. She's making the, those, those cuts there. And in the crust, you can still see where she cut it. But inside, as soon as the knife goes, goes by it, it's like, all that cherry filling and stuff just kind of goes right back together. And he, said, and he said, that's the way God is because, you know, we, we look at him and we see him and we, and we see that there are three distinct ones, but really inside he's all the same. You know, in a way, that one, in a lot of ways, that one comes closest to defining it and helping me describe it, but that still ain't it. And there's a reason that's not it. Okay, there's a reason that's not it. There's a reason. Tertullian, he even tried to, I mean, he's one of those, you know, fathers from way back that, of the church, and we think, you know, oh, he's got, I not, no, the, I mean, it's, it's, it's just almost impossible. You ever, you ever thought about it? If, if you're a, a Bible scholar, you like to read a lot, you've probably seen in the Old Testament notice that God had a lot of names. John, no, God had a lot of names in the Old Testament. Jeho and a lot of them were those Jehovah Nisi, Jehovah, Rophe, Jehovah, you know, Shalom, Jehovah, over and over. And, but then also even in the book of Isaiah, Isaiah starts calling Jesus a bunch of names. Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. You know, and he, he gives it. You know why God had all those names? Because there's not one name that can describe him. I mean, if you say Jehovah Shalom, he's your peace. I mean, that, that's, that's just the beginning of who he is because he's so much more for everybody else. I think the only one that comes even close to describing who he is is what he told Moses his name was. He said, just tell him I am that I am. That's all you need to know. Is it, it, it's me. It is I am that I am. When he says I am, he says I'm everything. I always was. I always will be. I just am. You know, in the past, I was the I am. And in the future, I, was, I will be the I am. I am the I am. That's the only one that really comes close to describing, you know, because, you know, really, it doesn't describe him. You see, there's the problem. It's when, when we start trying to ask the questions of des describe the Trinity to me, we want to put it in some kind of a context of where we understand it. I understand an egg because I can throw away the shell and I can take the yolk out and separate it from the whites. You know, I understand that, but that doesn't describe God. I can understand, you know, uh, freezing some liquid water and seeing it turn into a, into a solid. I can understand heating it up on, on the stove and, and seeing it turn into, into, into a gas, the vapor. I can understand that, but that doesn't describe God. You see, any, anything that you throw at me that will help me understand God is not going to work because I can't understand God. My human intelligence is incapable of understanding the creator of this universe, the one who knows the thoughts of all man, the one, the one who can see what your need is today uh, that, that, that you're not going to have for 10 years from now and already begin preparing you for it, pouring 
beauty and awesomeness and wisdom and, and joy and, and peace and all the things, the strength that you're going to need 10 years away. There is no way that I can understand this man and you cannot describe him to me. And so give me all the analogies you want to give me. It does not describe the Jehovah Almighty I am that I am. But here's what he says. He, he wants us to know, know some things about him. First of all, he wants us to know that he is three. I don't understand that, but there, I mean, you know, he, he definitely shows that he is three. Now, there are a lot more scriptures than this one, okay? So if you're saying, well, that's one scripture. One is enough, but there's a lot more. They're on the Sunday's page. I mean, this one right here, we see the three people of this Godhead. So God wants us to know that he is three. Secondly, God wants us to know that even though he is three, he is in unity in all things. John 14, 16, 17, verses 16, 17, we see that God is showing us that when he works, he is working all together. The the, the, the son is praying to the father and sending the Holy Spirit, and this is the father's will, this is the son's will, and the Holy Spirit is getting it done, and it's like, he's in unity in all things. And again, this is not the only verse. These two verses, there are more, and they're there on the Sunday's page. He wants us to know that even though he is three, he is in unity in all things. Thirdly, he wants us to know that he, three, is one. In 1 John chapter 5, verse 7, I mean, this is the most point-blank one right there written by, written by the apostle John. He says, for there are three that bear witness in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Spirit, and these three are one. And see, and that's where my mind begins to just kind of just fizzle. It's like, wait a minute, that don't work. Here's the best analogy I can give to you for the Trinity. It's right here at the bottom, the next slide. There it is. That one equals three. All right, all you math minds back there are just wanting to jump up right now and say, Pastor, take that off the screen. Don't mess up our kids. Is that some of that new common core math that they're throwing at us or whatever, right? You know, this is the only way I can describe it to you. Here's the best way I can describe it to you, okay? Is one does not equal three in my mind, but in God, one and three are the same to him because he is the I am that I am. He is one and he is three. I don't understand that, but that's who he is. My rules say one cannot be three, but God says I am one and I am three. You see, and what's so awesome about that is my rules say you've got needs that cannot be met. Some of you are sick and cannot be healed. Some of you have financial needs that will never be, be solved. But the God who says, I am one and I am three, he breaks all of those rules and he says, I can heal you. He says, I can deliver you. I can meet your financial need. I can deliver. Well, whatever it is you're struggling with, I can do those things. That's the awesomeness of us not understanding who he is. I don't have a box for him. Thank God. Oh, come on. Somebody say, thank God. I don't have a box for him. Thank God. He cannot fit in my little puny box. This is who he is. All right, I've got one more that I've got to answer for you today. And, and I, if I don't do it, I'm probably not going to get to it. So let, let me get to it right here. And I'll do it as fast as I can. How about eternal security? Okay. This is, this is one of those loaded topics. And here's the reason why it's loaded is because chances are, if you grew up in an evangelical church, You grew up either having taught to you eternal security is God's way, grace, salvation, or you were taught eternal security is a lie of the devil. You know, chances are that's a lot of, you know why? Because we ask the question so that we can get it framed in such a way that it fits our personal theologies. Here's what I want you to do for the next couple of minutes, if you will. 
I want you to just throw out everything you believe. Because you know what? It doesn't matter what you believe. It doesn't matter what I believe. What matters is what God says. <laughs> what matters is what the truth is. I want you to set, set that all aside for just a moment. And let us look at just, about, just, just a few verses of Scripture right here. Because here's, here's what I really want to tell you. Is whichever side of this debate you have historically come down on, you're wrong. <laughs> whichever side of the debate you come down on, you're probably wrong. Because none of us have it figured out exactly right. And, 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 and I want to be careful uh, uh, that I'm, I'm going to take a verse right here and show you something I think that is very powerful, very strong, very deep, very enlightening about this, this grace, this salvation thing. But I want to be very careful that you understand I'm not taking this verse I've just come through a study on the book of Hebrews. I'm not taking this verse just to explain and say, let me, this one verse shows the whole thing. No, no, no. You, you need to go and just read the whole chapter, of, uh, the uh, rather, book of Hebrews. Because Hebrews explains our salvation. That was the entire reason God had, uh, had the apostle write the book of Hebrews, is, is to explain to the Hebrews that had been raised in Judaism, explain to them their new salvation in Jesus Christ. So it is, it, is, it is an awesome book for you to begin to understand really the depth of what your salvation is, okay? And so if I'm already getting over your head, then, then good. I mean, you know, even just thinking about that because I've never read the whole book of Hebrews, good. So if you've not, then you need to slide aside all of your preconceived ideas and notions about something and listen to what the Word of God says. Now, this is just one verse, but this verse is stuck right in the middle of Hebrews and in the middle of all this teaching. And just look, and the reason, the reason I would choose is because just, just kind of the way God throws this whole thing out here. Hebrews 10, 14, for by one offering, he, capital H, talking about Jesus, he has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. That, that first phrase there, this underline, has perfected. Got any English scholars here? You know, what verb tense is that? Anybody? I'm sorry? Okay, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm hearing things, but I'm not hearing anybody really strong enough that you, you really should. This is called the perfect tense, okay? Has perfected. Now, that doesn't mean because the word perfect is up there, okay? It, but perfect tense, meaning that, you know what it, it denotes? It denotes something that has already been finished. He has perfected. What he's talking about here is, is that by one sacrifice, and that's what the, the, the book of Hebrews is talking about, this one sacrifice of Jesus Christ and all of this salvation and the grace that happens. It, it happens, and, and, and because of this one sacrifice and through this one sacrifice, we have been perfected. He has perfected us. It is, it is finished. It is done. The work of perfecting us standing before God in righteousness and holiness, as, as soon as you accept Jesus Christ as your Savior, you are perfect standing before him. And, and who is it that he has perfected? He has perfected those who are being sanctified. Now, wait a minute. What, what verb tense is this? Anybody? Y'all are worried about it now, aren't you? Because I'm throwing, throwing out these, all these participle things. And listen, English was not one of my strong suits. I checked this just to make sure I was right before I came out here and said all this, okay? Because it's not my strong suit. But they tell me, okay, and I, I remember this from school also. Being sanctified is, 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 is the perfect tense. What did I say the early one was? Did I say, did I say it was perfect? It's the past. It, it, it's, it's the perfect tense. I'm sorry. And being sanctified is the, um, 
is, oh, somebody help me right here. It's the present tense, but it's the present, I'm sorry, it's the present participle. There's the words I'm looking for, present participle. Thank you, you helped me there. Right, the perfect participle and the present participle. The perfect participle denotes, the perfect participle denotes that it is finished. The present participle denotes it's still going on. Now, see, this is why there's no yes or no questions because, you know, you start trying to say yes or no. Ah, it's not that. So what is he saying? And look, what he's saying is being sanctified. And that word sanctified means uh, being holy, set apart, or perfect. That's what it means. It means to be perfect. So here's what he's saying. He is saying that, that God has already, you know, perfect, perfect participle. He has already perfected us. And who is he perfected? Those who are, and this is, this is the present as it's still going on, those who are being perfected. He, is, he has already perfected those who are being perfected. Now, how can that be? Is this, this is one of those things. But what, you know what he's talking about here? What he is saying is that at the moment you ask Jesus Christ to be your Savior and wash away your sins, you are immediately, perfectly, in, in spirit, perfect as you stand before God all your sins are washed away and you are made whole but he says he's still perfecting you in the flesh now there's some folks that, that, that argue with that say oh no he's perfecting your flesh too I, 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 you know then you need to get up here and preach because I don't know anybody that got saved and all their sins were washed away and, in just, and they never, ever made another mistake, committed another sin, or did anything wrong. If you did, then you need to be preaching this message instead of pastor. Okay? But what he says is, I have already made you perfect in my sight. Now I'm working on your body, and I'm be, you are being perfected day after day after day. And you see, when we, when, we, when we stay on the edges of truth, then we'll grab a hold of one of those. We'll grab a hold of the, of the one that... Is, is that perfect participle or we'll grab a hold of the one that is the, pa uh, the present participle. That's what we'll do is we'll, we'll grab a hold of those. And you know what? When we, when we stay on the edges of truth, we are wrong. We are not embracing all of truth. And that's what we do. And that's what we do when we ask the questions. And, and, because look at it right here. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 7. Uh, actually, 7 through 14 is listed on the Sunday's page. He says, but if you, but if you were without discipline, which all received, then you were illegitimate children and not sons. Okay, here, I, I, got, I got I to nail this for you. As we're just about to close here, but I got to nail this for you right here. Is here's what he's saying. Every one of us receives discipline because God loves us. It comes to us. We all get it. But if we don't accept or receive or embrace or allow the discipline to change who we are. If we don't do that, then we're illegitimate children and we're not sons, we're not daughters at all. He, what he is saying is, I'm still working on you. And even though, yes, you are perfect in my sight, all of your sins are forgiven, I'm still working on you. And if you are not allowing me to keep working on you, then you're an illegitimate child. You are actually not one of my children. He, what he's saying is you, can, you can't pray the prayer and then, and, and then not try to do something. And you know what? There, there are a few people who actually believe that edge of truth so strongly that they would believe that. All, and, and, but that's not what God is saying here. God is saying you cannot do that. You cannot just pray the prayer and not also allow me to continue to change you. Because go back to that verse we just read a few moments ago. I am still perfecting you.
I'm still cleaning you up. I'm still getting you stronger. But then the other side of the edge of truth is there in Romans chapter 11. And, and he says, even so then at this present time, there's a remnant according to the election of grace. And if by grace, it is no longer of works. Otherwise, grace is no longer grace, but it is of works. But if it is of works, it is no longer grace. Otherwise, works is no longer work. Okay. Uh, that's a mouthful. I mean, that's a mouthful for a guy who's looked at this verse over and over and over this week, right? But that's a mouthful. But you know what it's talking about? It's talking about how our salvation is by grace and not by works. And there are many other verses that go along and tell us that. And here's the problem if you're on the other edge of the truth is you have been taught, no doubt, and believe, and you're under the bondage of the guilt and the condemnation of your past. You've not been able to embrace the grace, and, and, and if you're not careful, what you will do is you will continually, I mean, you, you mess up, and, and you're repenting for the same sin 10 years from now, and so what you're not doing is you're not, you're not understanding and receiving the fact that grace is what has saved you. Yes, he wants to clean you up. Yes, he wants to change you. Yes, there are things about your past he does never want to see in your life ever again, but when Jesus Christ forgives you, grace has washed you as clean as you can be. There are no levels of grace. There are no levels of white and purity. When the blood of Jesus, it, it is totally uh, efficient. It, it, when, when it washes your sins away, you are totally saved. You are totally pure. You are totally given to him. And there is nothing you can do that can ever earn that. There is no amount of repenting. There is, there is no number of, uh, of prayers that you can pray that can, that can forgive your past. And so uh, when you deal with the edges of truth, what you end up doing is you end up either living according, living in your past or you end up continually trying to, to make your past go away. But neither one of those is up to you. Because of grace, because of our salvation, because of our relationship, we no longer live in our old sin and we are no longer bound by the guilt and the condemnation of our sin. But because of his grace, you and I have been made free, set free and are at liberty with him. Amen. That's my understanding of salvation. And if you want to run back to your preconceived ideas and on the edges of truth, you're going to live. You're either going to live in your sin or you're going to live in the bondage to the condemnation, the guilt of it. But I invite you, and again, I implore you, don't run to the edges. Get in the middle of the truth of what salvation and through, through faith in Jesus Christ that brings the grace of God. Get in the middle of that and allow yourselves to be totally set free. One last little thing I want to tell you about this little subject, okay? Will you let me do that down here? Would you all stand and come to the front? If you're a first-time attender, we'd just like to say, uh, we'd just like to have you come down, and, and I would like to say that we uh, like to close at the front with a final song and a final prayer, and we would love to have you join us if you feel comfortable. Come on. Come on, move on down, press on in just a little bit. You got both. You got both. You are cleaned up and you're getting cleaner every day. Prayer team, if you will, kind of spread out here a little bit and get ready to pray. I, I'm really praying. I'm really believing. Come on. That, that, those very first points about that you ain't got any problems, you don't need anybody to pray for you. You've got problems. You need somebody to pray for you. I'm hoping you'll come let us pray for you today. Look at Philippians chapter 1 with me, right? Good. Thank you. 
Philippians 1 and 6, for I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. By God's help, what you are doing, by God's help, you are rewriting your story every single day. Every single day, by God's help, you're rewriting your story. You had a future, but when you became a Christian, your story began to change. It's like one of a, you know, a, magical, a magical book of your life that all of a sudden, all the future pages of your life began to change. The problems that were going to be there, the struggles that were going to be, some of those began to change every single day. That's what he's saying is every single day he's helping us rewrite our story. Somebody has told you your marriage can't be. Somebody has told you your finances. Are, somebody has told you you'll never amount to anything. Somebody has told you, somebody's told you because of the hurt that you have in your past. Somebody has told you because, because of all these things. And maybe it's the enemy that's told you because of the hurt in your past. You will never be free from this. And somebody's told you you're addicted to something and you can't shake free from it. And somebody's told you something. But what God is doing is, is every single day that you, were, that you were in relationship with him, he is rewriting your story. And not just your one-day story after death, and, but even right now, this story he is rewriting. Your today story, your tomorrow story, your next week's story. As long as you live on the face of this, earth, he wants to rewrite that story. And then some of you, you know, I sometimes ask, how many of you need it amazing this week? You need God to do something amazing. Let me ask it this way. How many of you need God to rewrite something in your story this week? You need something rewritten this week. Come on, raise, raise your hand. I, I need something rewritten this week prayer team wants to pray with you right now. Would you move? Would you come and let us pray for you? Just because the word of God says we're to agree concerning anything, it will be done. That's what he says. He will pray the Father, where two of you agree concerning anything, it will be done of my Father. Let us pray for you. Let God, let God rewrite that part. What is it you need to do this week? Let him rewrite that. Let him rewrite that. Let him rewrite your story. What part of your story is ugly or hurtful or painful? or What part of your story is just, just destroying who you are, destroying your peace, your joy? Your... Bow with me, if you will.